You know, Elk 101 is just, it's, it's its own beast, and it just keeps rolling down the hill. I'm just trying to hold on to it. I let out a cow call, and the cow call didn't even get out the end of my bugle tube, and a bull screams at us from clear across the other side. Just one of those bulls that when he answers, it's like, okay, he's fired up. You can call him in. Definitely, and you can see my reaction on the film, not only when I shot, but when everybody else, when Cody and Trent came over, and Trent said, I was on full draw on it. I'm like, you were? You know, like, I, I shot the bulls that you were after. Uh, it was just a disbelief that it was the same bull. First day of season, I'm, a, I'm just as aggressive to the last day. Our approach is all about emotion, and it's just triggering an emotional response in that elk. After day five, my hunting partner and I were in town, and we were getting loading the, the truck up with gas and probably grabbing a box of donuts or something for dinner. And uh, this drunk bum or I don't know, it just <laughs> comes walking down the, the side of the road there and looks, looks at us dressed in camo and says, you boys elk hunting, huh? And we said, yeah, yeah, we're elk hunting. What are you up to? Ah, I've done my share of elk hunting. Like, oh, I bet you have. And you're kind of badgering him a little bit. And he said, you boys want to know the secret to elk hunting? I'm like, oh, do we ever? And so he gets up close and he looks around like there's this big secret and he kind of whispers, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. And we just, I mean, it was all we could do not to laugh. We're like, oh, is that the secret, huh? And we're like, well, we've been going in 15 miles and we still can't find elk. And he's like, I'm telling you, boys, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. So, I mean, we just, we mocked that for the next half hour driving back to camp. Just, hey, you want to know where the elk are? Yeah, they're right by the road. Yeah, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. So as we're sitting here making fun of it, I look out the window and there's a six-point bull standing 40 yards off of the highway driving back to camp. And uh, coincidentally, we both shot our elk that year within 500 yards of the highway. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. Hey listeners, welcome back to the show. Hope everyone is doing well and I uh, just thought uh, we would take a few minutes just to kind of reconnect with our subscribers uh, and all our listeners out there. It's been a really busy spring so far uh, in early part of the year. I was on the road doing a lot of traveling, um, hitting some podcasts at a lot of the uh, trade shows, um, the Sheep Show in Reno, the uh, Dallas Safari Club show, which is a really good show. Um, also, Western Hunting Expo uh, in Salt Lake City, as well as just recently uh, at the BHA Rendezvous, where uh, we were able to get a couple podcasts done and uh, just reconnect uh, with some friends and some fellow uh, RNA members as well. So it was good to uh, get back on the road and uh, see everyone. 
Just uh, to kind of give you an update, we are going to be doing uh, some giveaways. Uh, we've got an, actually a series uh, of African safari uh, podcasts um, that we've done throughout the first part of the year. Uh, and our plan is to give away some gear. So uh, we've been in contact with a Ripcord ARS, so be looking for some gear there. Uh, and also uh, First Light, who is another one of our sponsors, uh, who will be helping us uh, with our uh, with our little giveaway. So some stuff exciting there, and you're probably wondering why an African safari podcast. Well, uh, there's a group of us from RNA that are going to be going over to Africa uh, in June and July. So we thought we would tee up... Um, you know, kind of our, our trip for that with a couple podcasts and some giveaway items. So be looking forward to that. Um, you know, it's tag season time, application time. A lot of things are hitting right now. Credit cards are, are getting um, stuck with uh, hopefully not refunds uh, and tags uh, or tags that are coming your way. Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of good things happening there. I was fortunate to, uh, get in on a New Mexico elk tag. So I'm excited to start uh, planning for that along with, uh, drawing general elk and deer licenses. So the season's already uh, starting to fill up, which is exciting. And of course in California in the spring, uh, we're hunting pigs, we're hunting turkeys. So just a fun time of year, uh, to be out in the outdoors and, uh, you know, enjoying, uh, you know, what we, uh, what we've been given, uh, and that's public lands. And that's a lot of things that, uh, you know, we are, we see as sacred and, and hold close to our chest. So anyway, uh, a lot of good things happening, a lot of fun things going on. Uh, you know, the podcast is continuing to grow, uh, and just really been exciting to watch, um, all of our followers and subscribers sending questions, provide feedback, uh, and just see the podcast kind of grow like it has. So Thank you to everyone uh, who has subscribed, listened, shared, or done something uh, to help our efforts around pushing our message, which is really, you know, to help and aid the DIY outdoorsmen, uh, you know, whether you're a hunterman, a fisherman, um, if you like to go out and jump in your kayak and get in the river uh, and just recreate uh, in the river, we we stand for all that and, and we try to push uh, you know, that agenda uh, that we're really there for public lands and, and uh, supporting a lot of the conservation organizations that do so. Um, looking at our podcast, uh, this time we are actually on episode number 50. So we're at number five. Oh, crazy to think we've, uh, we've gotten to 50 podcasts already. Uh, and, uh, this is going to be a good one, uh, coming up. Uh, speaking of this podcast uh, is brought to you by first light hunting, uh, and clothing apparel, you know, first light's just been a great partner, uh, for us at RNA outdoors. Um, we have uh, been fortunate to partner with them uh, and, uh, you know, utilize them uh, as one of our sponsors and really just trying to promote um, their brand uh, and really, you know, ethical hunting and stewardship in the outdoors. You know, I've been a member now of the First Light team for, for almost a year now. Uh, and again, just continue to be impressed year after year uh, with all of the, uh, you know, engineering of the merino wool fabrics um, that they have. You know, 10 years ago is about when First Light started, uh, and they really changed the game when they started putting hunting patterns uh, on merino wool. Most of you know merino wool has been out there a long time, but kind of they broke into that market and uh, in bringing it uh, to, the, uh, to the hunting world. So 
Again, excited to continue our relationship with First Light, uh, and you can find them online uh, at firstlight.com. And, of course, they've got multiple um, social media feeds uh, on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. So, anyway, with that, I will quit rambling, and we're going to move on. Uh, We were able and fortunate uh, to catch up uh, with some members uh, of the Elk 101 team, Corey Jacobson and Donnie Drake. Uh, who are, uh, again, members of Elk 101 uh, at the uh, BHA Rendezvous here recently in Boise, Idaho. So we'd been trying to catch up with Corey, and, you know, he's a busy guy, and, uh, you know, he had a seminar at, at the uh, at the BHA Rendezvous, but uh, we got to, uh, were able to carve out a, a little bit of his time uh, to catch up with him and talk about some things. Um, I know some projects that he's been working on, uh, and, uh, you know, the linguist video that most of you probably saw was a pretty incredible production that was put together. We we go into detail on that. Uh, you know, we talk a little bit about elk hunting strategies, of course, some question and answer, uh, and then just some things that they're working on in Elk 101 that we'll be seeing uh, in 2018. So anyway, without further ado, episode 50, Corey Jacobson and Donnie Drake of Elk 101. Coming to you from the BHA Rendezvous here in Boise 2018, this is the RNA Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Paw. And uh, we're here with our esteemed colleagues, uh, Mr. Tyler Houston and Ben Miller. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, thanks. Good to be in Boise. Good to be in Boise. Weather's nice. Nice to get some Rocky Mountain air. I come from sea level now. so some fellow Idaho boys. Yeah, I appreciate that. Kind of like the Western guys, not so much the California guys now. Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do about that? Anyway, yeah, so we're here, uh, excited to be here, excited to be here at the show. Um, we were just talking about, I think the last time we mic'd up was, I think, after I killed my bull in Montana, we talked about my hunt and, uh, and I my two pack Samuel mules. And yep. tag that he had that he didn't fill. Yeah. Three pack mules. Yeah, we did. We had, we had Nick, too. So it was kind of nice. It's always nice having someone extra when you're packing out elk. So mm-hmm. speaking of elk today, um, we're, we're excited to have... Um, part of the elk 101 team both Corey jacobson and donnie drake back with us they're friends of the podcast we had both of them on at the western hunting expo last year uh in salt lake uh, and it's been crazy i was thinking about reflecting back over the last year and few months the the stuff that you guys have done in the last you know year between you know the linguists we're going to talk about that the film which you guys were kind of teeing up uh, back at that time Land of the Free happened last year. Um, you know, the World Elk Calling Championship, which Corey was a champion there uh, at the ISC in Utah. Uh, and then the whole wolf hunting, um, you know, expedition that you were on with Tyler was pretty neat, uh, which we'll hit on a few of those topics. But uh, I do want to welcome both Donnie and Corey back to the podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Thanks for having us, definitely. Yeah, we tried uh, tried linking up at the Western Hunting Expo again this year, and yeah, man, it always just gets too busy. Yeah. Now, and that's the... The trade shows are great, but it is. It's always like when you get there, you have a plan and a schedule, yep. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, plan B it yeah. takes takes an effect real quick. So anyway, so we've got quite a few topics we're going to cover, um, and uh, you know, we'll kind of work through them and, and check through those. We also have kind of a Q&A that we want to go over and ask Corey and Donnie some questions on tactics and scenarios um, from questions that we've received from listeners and also um, Tyler and Ben both as well. So anyway, the linguist. Um, you know, I was thinking back about that, and, um, you know, we kind of share a bond, because I know you connected with Can Outdoors, uh, Ben Potter and Joel Wilson, who are two of my good friends, which is 
a small world when you really think about totally. it. Um, ben and, and Joel run a, a, a video journalism business down in San Luis Obispo, California, and uh, ended up actually really doing the cinematography and all the production uh, on the linguist video. Uh, but kind of thinking back on that, kind of from the conception phase, maybe talk about kind of where that came from, kind of where it started uh, in the initial phases of the uh, production. Totally, yeah. So David Brinker with Sitka Gear was the, the brainchild of it. And he called me and just said, hey, I've got this idea for a really cool film and, and want you to kind of help us out with it. And he said, it's going to be on the history of elk calling. And I thought, man, that's a dry, dry subject to have to do a film on. And, you know, how do you talk about the history of elk calling? And he's like, well, no, we, we kind of, I envision getting like the pioneers of, of modern day elk calling together, like in a bar scene, all sitting around talking at a table and talking about the good old days. And I said, you know, yeah, that's, that's. I could get behind that. And I said, what's my role going to be? And he's like, well, we just, we want to follow you for like a week elk hunting just to capture some, some calling footage. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that'll, that'll be great. And we can do that. And so anyway, that's how it started. And my involvement was just five days uh, with the camera, just following just, and he said, we don't even need to get a kill on film. I just want to get some interaction, some calling interaction. And by the time it was all done, Ben, who you mentioned with Con Outdoors, I think uh, it started the last weekend in July, and a year later in June, we finally wrapped up filming. And it was, I think he was with me for, what, 30, 32 or 34 straight days during elk season. So it, uh, you know, they said, we don't want to, we don't, we don't have to get a kill on film. We ended up getting seven (laughs) on film. Um, but, but the, the film itself, you know, we had 20 terabytes of footage. So we're shooting this film with, you know, all the brand new red cameras, like literally what they filmed Jurassic Park and Star Wars with. And he's carrying this parabolic mic that, you know, you see at the NFL games where they're trying to hear exactly what the quarterback's calling. He's carrying that around to get the most insane audio of, of elk and, it's just, there's so much incredible footage from that. Yeah. And we narrowed it down to a 29-minute film. So there was so much that got chopped out. And really, I thought it's going to just chop from, you know, just bounce from place to place. And it flows so great. You know, Kana is just, they've got a, a incredible, incredible eye for anything cinematic. Yeah. And then with Brinker, with David Brinker's vision of the film, you know, I got to kind of just sit back and watch it all unfold. And it's, yeah, it, it absolutely does justice, I think, to the history of elk calling and, yeah. the, and the people who yeah. made elk calling yeah, real. Yeah, it was an amazing video. I mean, 29 minutes, you know, you're thinking it goes by so fast. I was like, where's the rest of it? I could yeah. kept watching that. That content, just how that flowed was just amazing. It was a really cool video you guys put together. So yeah, it was neat to watch. Fun. Thinking about, I mean, you know, being in the presence of guys like Will Primos and part of the video shows, you know, him making the pallet plate or, I mean, going back in time when, when he did that. And then you, you went over to Colorado and, and met with Wayne Carlton. I mean, which to me, like Wayne Carlton, Larry D Jones are like the guys like, you know, to me were like the revolutionary pioneers of, of elk calling. And of course your dad, Rocky, but being with those guys and having those conversations, I mean, what was it like for you to be able to be in those situations with those guys and really digging into their brains and understanding kind of the history of, of the elk call? For sure. You know, it was, so I've known Will Primos since I was 18 and uh, good friends with him. I've known Wayne Carlton for quite a while and, you know, more just see him at shows and talk. I was hunting season type of thing. 
Uh, and then my dad, obviously, I, I've known him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Larry D. Jones, I'd never had the opportunity to meet. And same, you know, like you said, when you think back to, I started elk hunting, I got my license in 1983. And I was calling elk with a diaphragm at least three or four years before that. That's when diaphragms first came out. And as a kid, and even growing up, I didn't realize that 1979, 1980 was the first time there were actually diaphragms available for elk calling. And it was due to Larry D. Jones and Wayne Carlton, both about the same time, came out with that concept and developed that concept. And so, you know, it's something we took for granted and, and without even realizing how brand new that whole technology was. Sure. Um, you know, just literally I jumped in at the ground floor of that. And so it was really cool to go back and hear their story of what led them to to start that. And had they not started it, who knows? Yeah. You know, yeah, I remember the old calls that my dad used to use was the old, uh, was like the two little plastic pieces of the rubber band yep. around it. You know, you call it between those, sounded like more like a duck call than an elk call. So, yeah, it's yeah, come, I mean, come a long ways for sure. A know? lot of it was, I mean, a lot of the concept was behind turkey hunting. I mean, that was kind of the way they stretched the latex was to try to get that really high pitch, you know, really was where Will came from. And then next thing you know, you you know, you know expand that into an elk call. And, Rocky and yeah. I mean, I've... For a lot of the turkey hunting I do, I'll throw in a, a, an elk reed, and I'll use that or a pallet plate or, or, a, or a diaphragm for a lot of the turkey calling I do. So it's really the same idea, same concept. So, yeah, so thinking about, so you said you were on the road for 30, 32 days, 33 yeah, days. Was, we started September 1st of, of actual elk hunting time. Yeah. And we ended October 7th, I believe, with the hunt of a lifetime hunt. Yeah, it was. So thinking about through all that footage and all that time on the road, I mean, there was some, like I said, some incredible footage taken on that video. There was also a lot of stuff that I saw um, in the shop back in San Luis that Ben had that didn't make it in the film either. I mean, there was tons of elk footage, but the stuff that got in there clearly was um, what defined that video in my mind. I mean, there was the sparring scenes. There was, um, of course, the scenes uh, in, in New Mexico. And then what I thought was probably the most touching was the last scene with your son and that whole that whole dynamic that happened when Isaac, that bull came in and he got it. And I mean, it's, <laughs> you talked about it. And I know you and I had talked about it previously, but actually seeing it happen in, in, on video was pretty incredible. I'm sure for you, it, it probably meant the world to you to see that. It was, and it goes back to, you know, the game plan all they wanted to capture was interaction between father and son. They didn't care about him being successful on the hunt. Just, you know, that whole tradition of elk calling being passed down. Because it was handed to me from, you know, the forefathers of elk calling. And then they wanted to capture me passing it on to the next generation. And in typical Isaac fashion, you know, here, here's, he was, he's 15 now, he just turned 15. So he was 13 during the hunt. He'd already killed two elk with a rifle at that point. At 13 years old, 11 and 12, he killed two elk with a rifle, a six-point the year before. And he's like, Dad, I'm done rifle hunt. I just want an archery hunt. <laughs> it's too like, easy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm he's like, got a pretty good mentor, though. So. No, that's, it, you know, there, there is some of that, I think. But ultimately, it really comes down to what's inside the person. I mean, sure. yes, having somebody take you by the hand and lead you around is good. But you still have to make it all happen. And, you know, Isaac... He's, he's sitting there thinking, all right, I've got a guy that's carrying the same camera they used in Star Wars. I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to kill an elk on camera and be in this film. And I said, buddy, listen, we have two days to hunt. We're hunting public land over the counter tag in an area we haven't even scouted or been to this year. 
we're just going to get some film. Just, you know, have fun. If we can hear an elk bugle, that'll be great. But we probably aren't going to kill anything. Oh, yeah, we'll kill one. I shot mine last year on the first day. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. He spoiled them. He yeah. spoiled them, Averages, Averages are going to catch up with you. And it's yeah. probably going to be this year because you're bow hunting for the first time. Yeah. Well, as luck would have it, we did get into an elk the first morning and chased it all the way up the mountain. And Isaac has type 1 diabetes, so his blood sugar kept going low because, I mean, we were just hiking straight up. And so we'd have to stop every five minutes, and he'd eat a granola bar. And we're going through six or eight granola bars in the morning trying to keep his blood sugar up. And we get up to the top, and the bull bed's down. And you can just tell this bull is not, he's not going to come in. He's not fired up. We sat there for probably four hours trying to get him worked up. And finally, I turned to Isaac and said, buddy, it's probably not going to happen. We can stay here and hunt this bull tonight and again tomorrow, but tomorrow's the last day of the season. Or we can go to where you shot your bull with the rifle last year and just see if there's any elk over there. And he's sitting there. We're, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 feet above yeah. the vehicle at this point. And he's looking down, and he's like, so we have to hike back down to the truck and then drive three miles or three hours to this other area, and it's, you know, six hours before dark. And he finally says, let's go to the other area. Okay, it's your hunt. So, again, I'm in the mindset of we're just capturing footage of me and my son hanging out in the outdoors and calling elk. And his mind, it's like, find me an elk to put my tag on, would you? Yeah. You know? And so I want to be three for three here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to ruin my odds here, Dad. Come on, don't you own elk 101? <laughs> <laughs> you and it was one of those ones where you're kind of thankful that the elk didn't get fired up because you didn't want to have to pack it out of there. <laughs> yeah. It was downhill, but it was, I mean, our knees were killing us just hiking uh. down empty. So we get back, we rip camp down, jump in the truck, and I mean, we're flying down the canyon. And we drive probably two hours, and we're taking the back way to get there. So we're going through elk country the whole way. It's, you know, late afternoon into early evening. And we finally get to this, this big overlook where we drop down into another canyon. And I looked at Isaac and said, buddy, we aren't going to make it to the other area before dark. And our only hope is to get something to bugle here. And we had maybe 30 minutes yeah. of, of legal shooting light left. So we get out of the truck, grab our stuff. Well, actually, we didn't even, we grabbed a bugle tube and walked over the ridge, I don't know, 200 yards, yeah. 100 yards, and got on this rock and just standing there listening. Everything's quiet, big, beautiful basin there. I let out a cow call, and the cow call didn't even get out the end of my bugle tube, and a bull screams at us from clear across the other side. Just one of those bulls that when he answers, it's like, okay, he's fired up. You it's can call on. him in. Yeah. And so I look at Isaac, I'm like, okay, buddy, here's the deal. This bull is probably a mile away. He answered right back. He's definitely hot. I don't know where he's going. By the time we get there, he might be out of the canyon. He might be staying put. I just, I don't know. So Donnie comes walking over, and he has Onyx map on his phone. And he said, there's a meadow about 300 yards from where the bull just bugled. I bet he's going to that meadow to spend the night there. And I, That's our play, then. We've got to just sprint to that meadow. So we run back to the truck, grab our packs, grab the bow, take off literally running down the hill, get across, and it's, it's relatively flat in the bottom, fortunately. We cross the river and uh, get over there, and we get to the meadow, and we literally climb up on this little knob 60 yards from the meadow. I let out another cow call, and bam, the bull hammers from the other side of the meadow. Wow. So I look at Isaac, and I said, get down by that tree on the edge of the meadow. I'm going back here to call. Donnie stayed right there, and then Ben went down with the camera with mm -hmm. Isaac. And I'm just thinking, we have 10 minutes at most to make this happen. Isaac has no clue what he's doing. Like, he's down there by himself with a camera guy. 
and in a meadow. In a yeah. meadow, yeah. Which with a screaming I, elk coming at yeah, yeah. I, I can just see him, you know, sneaking out in the middle of the meadow trying to get close to the elk. And so I get back. I can't see him. I can see where he's at, and I can see the meadow. And literally, the second I get there, the cows run out. Just a group of cows runs out into the middle of the meadow, just, you know, prancing in the meadow playing. And so I start cow calling. The bull just screams up there. And I do our, our normal calling routine. I cow call the bull answers and immediately cut him off. And I screamed the most aggressive challenge bugle I could at him. You could hear air come out of the canyon when that bull just like, (laughs) and as soon as I bugled, I could see him coming out in the meadow. And I mean, just this huge body, just shoulders, just rippling coming out in the meadow. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm trying to pull up my binoculars and look, and it looks like he's just this little spike raghorn thing. And I thought, there is no way. He was screaming. He's got cows. His body looks huge. Where's the big bull? Yeah. yeah. And I thought, okay, the, the herd bull's going to be behind him. Sure. And then I thought, this is Isaac's first elk with a bow. He can shoot that bull. That's, <laughs> he better not be picky. Yeah. <laughs> so the bull, I mean, it literally just text work call in, comes in the middle of the meadow, and then starts circling around to get downwind of us. And I can't see Isaac or anything, and and uh, all of a sudden I see all the elk kind of spook and take off running, and then they stop. And then all of a sudden the bull takes off running again, and they all kind of scatter out. And I thought, yeah, he must be out in the middle of the meadow and scared him. So I pull up my binoculars, and I'm looking, cow, 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 cow. And, oh, there's the bull. He's standing out there looking back. And I'm kind of looking at his antlers going, there's something goofy there. And then I notice he's got a big patch of blood running down the side right behind the shoulders. I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Did Ben grab the bow and shoot? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What happened? He, How did he you know, do that? Maybe he got injured fighting or something. Yeah. And so I walk down, and uh, Isaac's standing there, and he looks at me. He's got this look of panic on his face. And he says, Dad, I, th- I think I shot over him, and I might have hit a cow. Oh. I said, what? <laughs> and he said, well, I just, I ranged the clump of grass before he came in, and when he came in, I just, I put my pin on him and it felt good, but I saw my arrow and it looked like it was going over his back. And then I heard it hit something and the cow took off running. He's like, I think I might've hit the cow. Like, well, cows are legal too. And he's like, but I, and you know, he's just starting to, and I said, yeah. buddy, I looked at the bowl and there's a patch of blood right behind his shoulders. And he lost, like, he didn't know how to react. He was just, it was, it, you see it on film. Yeah, that's just, awesome. Yeah, yeah neat. And then, uh, of course, tracking it, and we had a little troubles. Just, you know, there wasn't a lot of blood. And uh, Donnie had found the bull and came back, and he's like, it's right over here. And it only went, what, 150 yards yeah. or something. Oh. And uh, so he let Isaac, like, hey, buddy, there's not much blood. You're going to have to really look at the ground here and start tracking. So he's down there, you know, oh, here's a track, and looks up, and it's laying right there. And for a dad, I, I think for anybody in that situation to see – someone finds success like that and be so excited and so yeah. passionate about what they're doing. It was uh, a pretty yeah. humbling moment. Yeah, that's great. I think I get more excited when other people shoot stuff. Like he shot an antelope this year with his bow and we're high-fiving like we were 15-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's all about, totally. <laughs> yeah, and, seeing, and to bring it back to Canna, um, with Ben there, and Ben got a crash course in elk hunting. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and he was... He was more excited than I think any of the three of us were <laughs> on that. And he was just like, I can't believe that just happened. And it, oh, I, know. I remember going into the shop and Joel was in there. I think he was tinkering on my bow and Ben came in and uh, him and him and Joel were talking about this. And of course, Joel knows, you know, about you and knows about Elk 101 and Will Primos. Ben 
has no clue, yeah. right? I mean, and Ben did the video the year before the Tendoys video hunt for Sitka, yeah. which was that um, sheep, sheep hunt that they did up in the Tendoys. And, uh, and I'm like, you realize what you're doing, like who you're going with? And, and I'm like, he's never elk hunted before. He's a huge duck hunter, right? Um, yeah, and the lessons and the schooling he got in those 30 days. I mean, he's he drew a Wyoming tag this year, so yep, yep. he's uh, he's going to be going hunting this year. He went up to Oregon last year, so I know he's getting into it now. But, yeah, I, I can only imagine the amount of stuff that, that he learned during that time. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, it brings a challenge. You get a guy from California at sea level that's never hunted elk before and really is just, he's like, I, I'm just here to capture. Sitka wants me to capture and get some good audio and, and we, we camped at 96 or 9,700 yep. feet the first day we went up to 10.6 or 10.7. And do you know that camera gear? It's He's heavy. got every yeah. lens and battery pack oh. and four different cameras hanging off of him. He kept right up with us and never said a word. Um, he's, he's a little hard of hearing, which brought some challenges the yeah, first couple like, huh? days of huh? communicating <laughs> to each other. Ben, there's an elk Quiet. right there. He makes ben, videos. there's an elk right there. Stop. <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. But no, he, uh, yeah, he, he told me right from the beginning, you just do what you do. I will do everything I can not to affect that in any way. And he absolutely stayed true to that. Yeah. And like I said, I think he gained an education that it lit the fire in him. I talked to him just yesterday, and he was like, I cannot wait. He's like, I'm working on a story from my hunt last year, and I didn't kill anything, but I just want to share it. And I'm going this year to Wyoming, and just he's so passionate about elk hunting. Yeah, yeah, he is. It's neat to see that. I mean, for, like I say, from a guy who is a huge duck hunter, and, and he's hunted deer, but he's never been, you know, an elk hunter. And so it changes people's lives, you know, people yeah. that have never done that before. You always think about... You know, the first time you went elk hunting, probably with your dad, or I know My for you, it was probably with your dad. Smoking a cigarette, walking down the trail. That's how I learned out on. It's like, Dad, do you think they can smell that? No, it's fine. The wind's blowing the other direction. There's a wonder why we didn't kill very many elk. You know? Yeah, yeah. But there's all those little lessons you learn along the way, you know. And yeah. that's, I, I, I've always said, you know, that you were talking about that bull. You, you can never judge a bull by his bugle. You know, we we were hunting a bull this year that had that same raspy, just nasty. And there was other raghorns running by, and I'm like, I'm not going to shoot any of these. I'm going to wait for him. Out comes this little five-point just coming down, you know, just screaming, bugling. And you're just like, <laughs> really? Like, yeah. where's the big one at? But, yeah, it's it's always an education when you're out there. And uh, that's what we like about it. There's always a new challenge, something around the corner every time. So so is your son hooked on archery now? Or what's his, he uh, has been since yeah. he was, like, two. So, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that he shot his first two with a rifle, he – in Idaho, you have to shoot 40 pounds legally to hunt elk. When he was 11, he was shooting 43. And I told him, you can't hunt elk unless you shoot 45. And he argued, Dad, the law says 40. And I said, well, my law says 45. I don't <laughs> want you, your first experience shooting an elk to lose one. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there might not be a big difference between 40 and 45. But I think that 45 is the target we need to aim for. And so he shot that first one with the rifle. The next year, he was shooting 45 pounds. He was at full draw three times on six-point bulls in a 24-hour period. Jeez. And uh, then ended up, you know, in Idaho, you can shoot rifle or archery as a youth. Yeah. A and so we took him out, and he shot one with a with a rifle. And, but, yeah, he's he drew a turkey tag this year. He's like, I don't even want to shoot one with a shotgun. I only want to shoot it if I can shoot it with my bow. And so he's he's hooked. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's great. So kind of fast-forwarding a year. So then we, we get into last year and the whole land of the free. Donnie's wearing a, a sweatshirt right now. And... I may point this question towards him. Um, you know, looking at that elk you shot in Wyoming, that was just a cranker, that video. That that whole dynamic of that 50-day series was crazy because, I mean, 
I'm not a big one to watch like 40 to 50 minute videos on YouTube because, you know, you kind of get lost, but you get sucked into all those videos and those guys did a great job, you know, kind of producing and putting that together. But that elk hunt that you had in Wyoming and that bull was pretty special the yeah. way all that unfolded. Definitely. And you can see my reaction on the film. Yeah. <laughs> As not only when I shot, but when everybody else, when Cody and Trent came over and Trent said, I was on full draw on it. I'm like, you were? You know, like, I, I shot the bulls that you were after. Uh, it was just a disbelief that it was the same bull because when we had seen the bull, the bull that they were chasing, it looked like it went up and away from them, and we are back around the other side headed 180 away from them and run into that bull. It just gave them the slip and went in between us. Yeah. But it was it was definitely a long time coming for me to <laughs> shoot a nice branch antler bull. Yeah, that was yeah. a nice bull for sure. That was yeah. a great. That bull. was the biggest bull you ever shot, then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a great bull. Yeah, and that kind of that just that dynamic of them, you know, starting in Oregon and then just kind of moving essentially east as the way they went and dropping, you know, in all those different places. I mean, the logistics of that had to have been, I mean, just incredible trying to plan all that because you got four or five guys and you're trying to, you know hammer roosevelt's in oregon and then you shoot over to wyoming and then they hunted in utah and montana i mean they were all over the place but being able to do something like that on the road for 50 days and trying to get every and it just seemed like everywhere they went it was just like an elk wrecking crew i mean <laughs> yeah. they were laying down elk like it was an amazing video it was crazy it's just great to be able to you know share camp with other people that are hey that they do it this way we do it this way and it's like we didn't think about that or they didn't think about that and just it got fired up especially after the season how you're saying that it's 50 minute videos but it's not hunting season anymore and I think people that are hunters they just want to be able to consume that and soak it up and people weren't just watching it for somebody shooting an elk for a kill shot they were watching it learning asking questions what was in your pack why did you go up this drainage how did you do this how did you do that so overall just a good learning experience for a broad amount of hunters i watched it because i was jealous who gets to go hunting for 50 days straight <laughs> yeah you like you cracking the whip after 10 going you're coming home well if you if you watch it i mean they didn't they they all have families and yeah. responsibilities yeah. and everything so you know the first week they're hunting close to home Secondly, Cody and Trent are hunting Wyoming, and then Cody goes home. Trent and Steve, I think, hunt Colorado, and then Trent goes home, and Cody and, you know, they're just, they're kind of yeah, rotating up, through yeah. there so that they are able to not be gone 50 straight days. And Didn't Trent shoot his first, was it, well, he shot multiple branch antler bulls, but he never shot a six-point, is that correct? Yes. You guys were with him on yeah. that yep. hunt when he shot his first six-point? And Trent's just, I mean, he's he's a trigger-happy Logger. I mean, that's yeah. really yeah. what it is. He just puts meat in the freezer, and he's never held out. He's never worried about a six-point, and he wasn't on this trip at all either. But I told him, this area we're hunting, there's not a lot of big bulls, but there's a lot of six-point bulls. You know, you don't have to shoot a five-point. So I told him, you can't shoot a five-point before 10 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> so you have to hold out for at least three hours to, you know, wait for a five-point. And... It turned out, I mean, it was our last day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was our it was last day to, to hunt. Last day to hunt. We kind of went, we broke up into two groups to just go and scout and find elk. 
And uh, Donnie and I found a, a pretty good little pocket elk, so we went back in there the next morning with him, and it took, uh, we called in three times. Three times. And then uh, he shot it at 12 yards or something, 15 yards. And wow. So was he just coming in, and then you guys chasing him off, or what, how, how did that happen? Yeah, we do chase a lot of elk off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're not very aggressive from right here. The, the ones, kind of guy lays back. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. The, the ones that we run by, we don't even know that are there, but the ones that we know are there, we usually end up chasing off. and. <laughs> So, no, it was uh, the, there was a huge canyon between us and the bull, and the bull came all the way down to the edge of it and just didn't want to cross it and come, come up. up. So he left, went back up. We crossed it, went up and got up there and set up, and he came in and just couldn't see in that burn. He could see enough and couldn't see elk and got nervous and left. And as soon as he went over the ridge, we sprinted to the ridge and got set up and challenged him, and he turned, and it was it was tell, on. You could yeah, tell when he was coming good. in. He was on a mission. He was coming in to put a finish to it. Trent and I would get along well. I've never shot a six point. I've <laughs> shot a lot of five points, but never yep. six points. So yeah. I'm trigger happy myself. The difference is I'd never tell you to wait. You have to wait till no, 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we tell Lucas you got to wait, but Trent and I will shoot. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, no, it was a neat series. It was, like I say, it was, it was actually the series where you were excited to kind of see the next one coming out. I know yeah. it was a huge buzz around it and a lot of mm-hmm. social media presence, but it was neat just following that, that story that they did and, and uh, I'm sure there's probably going to be a phase two of that at some point, but it was neat watching watching what those guys did. So Yeah, phase two starts in uh, about four and a half months. <laughs> yep. Back are they doing on the road. Similar to that again? Or? Yeah. Yeah, are they? Yeah. Yeah. Version, version two, Land of the Free. Yeah. 2.0. Cool. So you guys will be involved in that as well, I imagine. Yeah, I know Dirk's, uh, I think Dirk's going to Colorado with them. We're still trying to figure out what's going to work. And like you say, you get five groups of people with three to five guys each hunting five different states and trying to coordinate schedules. Yeah. It's that's a lot. It all depends on who's getting tags, too, because yeah, if you're drawing tags. And it yeah. could change your, if, yeah. if you yeah. wanted to hunt over the counter, you know, in Idaho, yeah. that may change if you draw a tag somewhere. So yeah. you almost got to wait till the tag season gets through or the yeah. applications and then figure out how you're going to put it together. Totally. Cool. Um, let's go over just a couple question and answers, couple scenarios and tactics, uh, and then we can kind of wrap it up. So one of the first questions that comes in, uh, and, and it was really around, you know, being aggressive, like Tyler said, you know, thinking about your guys's elk tactic, which is pretty aggressive. It's getting in their face, right? It's, um, if I cow call and he bugles immediately, I know that he wants to play, right? And that's one that we're going to at least go pursue. But thinking about as the rut progresses, um, you know, do you get more, is, is it even possible to get more aggressive or, um, you know, is it from the standpoint though, um, you know, maybe as these bulls continue to get called at, you know, during the mid September time frame, do you just continue to keep that high level of aggression on them throughout that time? Yeah. And honestly, it's first day of season. I'm, a, I'm just as aggressive to the last day and it doesn't change it. And there's really, you know, when you break it down and look at the, the philosophy of it, I'm not trying to communicate to an elk through language, which you, you get call shy elk and stuff. If you're trying to bugle to them and make them hear something and, and respond in a language manner, they're going to be call shy. They, they might not do it. But our approach is all about emotion. And it's just triggering an emotional response in that elk. And elk are an animal. I mean, they have instinct. And that's what they live off of. They aren't, they aren't an intelligent animal that processes and thinks through things. And so everything we do is trying to trigger that emotional reaction. And in an elk, fortunately, during the month of September, they're just filled with testosterone, and it's pretty easy to push the right button. And yeah. uh, the key to it is just getting in close and trying to call to a call shy elk or a herd bull or a timid bull 
from four or 500 yards away is going to be completely different than if you're 150 yards away. So we just try to get close to the elk and then just hammer them, just yeah. aggressive in their face. And, and realistically, it, it works all through the season. It works on big bulls, little bulls. You know, it doesn't work every time, sure. unfortunately, yeah. but it's, 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 a, on. it's a pretty good, pretty good strategy. What's well, something I've told these guys all the time, yeah. you know, it's like we hear a bull bugle. It's like, you know, I'm already seeing dust and yeah. we can't keep up with Lucas while he's running to go shoot an elk. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, they always wonder like, well, God, how do you kill elk? It's like, if I hear one, I'm, I want to get as close as I can and see what it is, you know? And I've hunted with a lot of people that like to sit back, wait for them to come to them. I mean, there's different dynamics of elk hunting, right? And a lot of people are successful in a lot of different ways, but I've always found that, yeah, they bugle challenge them immediately if they want to play then it's on you yeah. know and, and get in and get aggressive with them and if you win them or they blow you I mean that's you know that's elk hunting but you know a few times out of 10 the odds are going to work in your favor yeah. and if it's the right animal and what you want I mean you have that opportunity so I agree I think I think aggressive has always been my yeah, tactic it's definitely helped me a lot I mean just following you guys you know in the last few years and you know signing up being a member of the university elk kind of thing has really helped me kind of be more aggressive because I'm not always with these guys you know I hunt I end up hunting a lot by myself and it's you know it's always a little bit harder to kill something when you're on your totally, own totally you can yeah. tell I mean it's it's just different trying to close that distance and be there but I've had so many more encounters being aggressive and kind of you know I really hats off to you guys for giving a lot of uh, a lot of advice to, to myself and everybody else but it's definitely helped me for sure well i think that you touched on something there it's just you have more encounters and that's what it takes to be successful you can't count on one call-in or two call-ins and hoping to capitalize on that if you have six or eight call-ins in a six or eight day hunt there's a chance that you're going to fill a tag but yeah. if you only have one or two actual encounters where you're at full draw or you're riding close there and, and know something's going to happen you know, so I think that being aggressive, you create opportunities. Where when you're timid, you wait for opportunities to arise, and that's a that's a recipe for failure a lot of times. Sure. So. Yeah, that's kind of what Ben and I have never really killed a lot of failure. Yep, <laughs> I'd sit there and wait and watch yeah, and wait, you know, amazement. Worry, but, yeah. I think my heart's gonna stop beating by the time he walks in, and then he's walking <laughs> no, away. It only gets worse as we get closer. Yeah. yeah. Um, next question was one I think Tyler raised. It's it's really when you're okay, you're in the mode of okay, I'm just I'm not closing the distance on a good bull, but I've got all these satellite bulls around me. How do you maybe change tactic if you do if you're trying to hunt a herd bull or a, a bigger mature bull, but you're like, you know what, I got two more days to hunt, and if I could maybe focus on a smaller satellite raghorn bull, is there a tactic change or is there a strategy change that you would use to maybe hunt more of a satellite bull versus a larger mature bull, or is it very similar? Donnie. It's all going to be on the wind. <laughs> if you only have two days left to hunt, you're just getting downwind and taking whichever one it wants to play sure. and working that one, whether you can get them pulled away from the herd or you have to work in towards the herd. and Whichever one wants to to pipe off and fight with you. It's whichever one makes yeah. it to the setup first gets yes. shot. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of more of my question because, you know, a lot of times we'll – kind of hold out i do anyway especially on with lucas now is kind of hold out for the bigger bull you're chasing her bulls you know day after day after day and then it comes out on the other hunt it's like you know i want to fill my tag you know i'm not i don't care about the trophy hunt i don't yeah. care how big they are i just want meat in the freezer and <laughs> say i you know i'm successful on the tag so i was running that problem where you're trying to chase it and then you know if there's a different tactic to get to a, a satellite bull that's maybe you know they're always bugle maybe a little more or they're a little less aggressive so I guess so. You're saying basically, if if one's hot, they're going to come in, whether it's a satellite or a, yeah, a herd bull or not. And I really think there's there's a demographic issue there too, because early in the season, 
you know, say August 30th through September 7th or 8th or so, those big mature herd bulls aren't herd bulls yet. They're off by themselves. They're in their staging area and they're super irritable. I mean, if you can get in on those bulls before they get cows, you can call them right into your lap. And, and that's why we like to hunt early because mm-hmm. those more mature bulls aren't herded up. Once they get in with the cows and the cows are in estrus, they've got their attention right there. And it's pretty hard to pull them away for yeah. a fight or anything else. And early you're still doing like an aggressive calling. All, all the way through. Yeah, yeah, we're just focusing on those those herd bulls that aren't in the herd yet. And you're not, you're not starting with an estrus cow call, nothing, just... Just a regular cow call. Oh, regular yeah. cow call. Yeah, so all here. of our setups, Beagles. every single calling setup starts with a cow call. The bull responds, which any bull is going to respond in September if you're in close and mm-hmm. give them a cow call. And once he responds, then we just hammer him with the challenge bugle. And it doesn't matter if it's, I mean, we called in a spike in Oregon a couple of years ago that came in, eyes rolled back, slobbering. Scr- <laughs> I mean, we, you talk about being fooled by a bugle. Yeah. He walked in and I thought, no, there's a six point behind him and sat there and he walked right up and bugled at us on camera. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. He's going to be a nasty bull someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuzzy horn spike. So, but you yeah, early, spikes. early oh, in that season. Ago, dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back when you could kill spikes. Of course, in Oregon, I think in some places you can Can't kill yeah. spikes. Yeah, Montana's but, all closed off to that yeah. mostly now. Yeah. But, you know, you got during that same time, you have the, the smaller, the satellite bulls that are actually running the herds. And they're the ones that do all the work. They gather up the Working, herds. They, yep. they sure. get the harems established. And then the big bulls come in and run them off and take over. Yeah. But that's the time that it's usually harder to kill those small bulls because they just want to bugle and run. They've got their herd and they know that they're going to lose a fight if they come in. Mm-hmm. So it can be harder to get those, those smaller bulls to actually come in and, and get a shot at them. Then is during that transition, you know, from the, the pre-rut into the peak rut, that September 10th through the 18th time frame, you can call in anything. I mean, that's, they're just, they're fighting, they're establishing dominance, they're so aggressive. Um, they want to prove who's the stronger bull. The young satellite bulls have had their herds. Now they got them taken away and they're just frantically trying to find a cow, anything. So that for me is the, the peak time for calling, the week before the peak rut. And then you get into the peak rut, and those herd bulls are just focused on breeding. They've got the cows. It can be hard to pull them away. The satellite bulls are the ones that will come running to anything you throw sure. at them. Mm-hmm. But, again, the key is just getting close. If you can get close to a herd bull that last week of September, even if he has a cow in estrus, you get close to him and pressure him and challenge him, and he'll leave the cows and come in to, to settle a score. Cool. Um, one of the last questions, and we were kind of joking about it is before we got on and started recording, but it's really how to approach kind of overhunted areas, um, you know, close to roads. And what's interesting is, is in a lot of those areas, you'll find, you know, good elk country, you'll find hidden pockets, you'll find canyons that are right off the highway, but a lot of times, sometimes can hold elk. But um, thinking about in the places you guys hunt, not only the predation in, in Idaho, and we see that in Montana where we hunt too with wolves, but um, thinking about hunting in areas of, of high traffic population or roads, um, is there any secrets there to that, or is there anything that you guys do in your tactics that, that may change based on location versus being, you know, 15 miles, 10 <laughs> miles packed in somewhere where there's nobody else? I think we tried bivy hunting a couple times, and it just felt like we were so locked to one area that if the elk weren't there, if they weren't responding, or if there were wolves there, that we were just kind of, we were stuck there. And so we've got into more of that mobile mindset of setting up a base camp and then driving any different direction and just doing huge day hunts, you know, where we'll hike 12, 14 miles a day. Just out of the truck normally? Yep, just, just yeah, out of the truck and come back. And, yeah, I mean, if we find a pocket of elk three or four miles back in and it's not getting pressured, we might go back and, you know, do an overnight type hunt. But for the most part, we're coming back and we're just covering a ton of country. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, elk 
can be next to a highway just as easy as they can be 15 miles back in. They don't like pressure. So if there's a trailhead where there's hikers all summer and they're continually you know, seeing people and smelling people, they're probably going to get pushed back away from that. But if you've got a stretch of highway that's 15 miles long and goes through some beautiful looking elk country and there's not camp set up all alongside it, there's no reason there can't be an elk coming down and, and feeding in the meadow right next to the highway at night and going and bedding a quarter mile up on the first knob there on the north-facing slope. So sure. We don't we don't overlook anything. If it looks like good elk country, we'll hunt it. Yeah. You never find the you know the drunk guy coming out of the bar. <laughs> the <laughs> uh, we were just telling a story before the podcast of you know when we were young, we would just go with a Snickers bar and a, a Seven Up in our backpack and go all day and not have a, a game bag or a knife or anything. And we did that for about five straight days and just weren't getting into elk. And I'm talking covering 12, 14 miles in rough, rough country. And coming back and going to the next canyon and doing the same thing. And after day five, my hunting partner and I were in town and we were getting loading the, the truck up with gas and probably grabbing a box of donuts or something mm-hmm. for dinner. And uh, this drunk bum or I don't know, just <laughs> comes walking down the, the side of the road there and looks at, looks at us dressed in camo and says, you boys elk hunting, huh? <laughs> And we said, yeah, yeah, we're elk hunting. What are you up to? Ah, I've done my share of elk hunting. Like, oh, I bet you have. And you're kind of badgering him a little bit. And he said, you boys want to know the secret to elk hunting? Like, oh, do we ever? (laughs) And so he gets up close and he looks around like there's this big secret. And he kind of whispers, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. <laughs> and we just, I mean, it was all we could do not to laugh. Like, oh, is that the secret, hon? We're like, well, we've been going in 15 miles and we still can't find elk. And he's like, I'm telling you, boys, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. So, I mean, we just, we mocked that for the next half hour driving back to camp. Just, hey, you want to know where the elk are? Yeah, they're right by the road. Yeah, if you can't hear the road, you've gone too far. So as we're sitting here making fun of it, I look out the window and there's a six-point bull standing 40 yards off of the highway driving back to camp. And uh, coincidentally, we both shot our elk that year within 500 yards of the highway. And so, I mean, it's we still, 20-some years later, <laughs> bring that up. If you can't hear the highway, you've gone too far. Yeah, there's yeah. little hidden pockets of elk here and there, you know. I mean, it happened like this year because we had such an early snow in Montana that drove all these elk. And, I mean, there was elk bugling behind people's houses yeah. most of the time up where we hunt, you know, 500 yards. I used, I hunted... Well, probably 30 days this year out of the back of my cabin, just walking straight out, and there was elk 500, 600 yards just bugling right <laughs> behind the cabin, yeah. which has never happened before. You know, we've had that place for 10 years, and it's just weird. You know, they're, they're hidden pockets, they get enough pressure, and yep. they're pushing areas where people aren't always, uh, always it there. Gets, it gets brought up quite often when we go to the end of a trail, end of a road, and then walk a trail, and the trail's there no more, and then we go another 10, 12 miles past there, and... It's turnaround time, and I'm like, yeah, we can't hear the road, can we? (laughs) (laughs) We should have stayed closer. (laughs) If you hear hear a quad or an ATV back there, you're going to be like, really? Wow. Uh, I was elk hunting in Colorado this year, and uh, same deal. We'd gone in. We actually did, I think it was 26 miles in 24 hours is what it ended up being. Had glassed up this herd bull, went in 13 miles one way and on a pack, and we literally got up into this wilderness area. And... um, there was two people sitting in this in this canyon, um, and we were thinking, how the heck did two people? I mean, this was an older lady and, a, and an older gentleman, and they had it was during rifle season, so they had their orange on. That's how I saw them. But and come to find out, they had been guided into this area, and there was um, like tarps and game bags and stuff stretched down the trail. But 
they probably got brought up there from a road and dropped off and we packed in, tried to find this bowl and we found the bowl and, um, I didn't connect on it, but I was just thinking like, man, you go back there 13 miles, you know, and took us most of the afternoon to get back there, set up, set up a bivy. It was like four degrees that night and uh, woke up the next morning and then you find these people and you're just like, how the heck? <laughs> Is this but, the same lady that said she was going to shoot you if you stepped out in the open? Yeah, I got threatened in elk country. She, uh, wow. We were actually walking down this, this little drainage and she was up in this meadow. And all of a sudden I hear this, if you take one more step, you're going to get shot. So, of course, I stopped <laughs> and I looked over and I saw her sitting there and she had a rifle sitting on a, on a bipod. So, of course, I stopped and my buddy was behind me and we backed out and he looked at me and it was probably the same look Isaac had after he'd shot that bull. We're like, did she just say that? I'm like, yeah, she did. And of course, how do you react to that? Right. You got people in the woods, both with firearms. So of course we, we blew out of that area. The funny part was, is we ended up going down and we winded a bunch of elk that were actually coming back up to where they were. So I didn't feel too bad about it, but um, yeah, I was like, I've, I've never been, you know, threatened in the elk woods like that. So that was that kind of ruined the trip for us, but yeah, no kidding. nonetheless. Has anything ever happened to you guys like that? I mean, besides the guy that puts a note on your windshield and says yeah, you Yeah, no, ours is all pretty So pretty last year yeah. on my bull in Wyoming, we were six miles from the truck, or we were seven miles from the truck, and we had turned, we had gone up that drainage, and, you know, there's a road that dead ends, and then there's a four-wheeler trail kind of up at the very top, and... We're in there calling elk, and the bulls are spawning in the bottom, and then we could hear some cow calls up above us. So we're like, well, his cows are up there. He's going to be chasing it. So let's get up here and get up above the up above him and get the wind right when he's coming up. So we're walking along and hear a cow call, hear a cow call. We get up real close, and the, there's no sound. But then we... Uh, hear the cow call and look over and there's a 65 year old guy sitting underneath a tree with an arrow on his rest just cow calling waiting for waiting for an elk to come in in the middle of nowhere (laughs) sure and he had gotten dropped off his son was actually down in the bottom of the drainage playing with the elk down there that was bugling so we ran into people like that and just nobody's threatened us to shoot us yeah us. exactly you know it's a different level yeah it is crazy. and that's i don't know there's no there's no place for that because we're all hunting right? i mean we were, were on pu- we were on public land public land we were on public land you didn't know they were there you're back in yeah. 13 miles and for somebody to be brazen enough to say you take one more step you're going to get shot that's what she said yeah. i mean that's that's, that's ludicrous. ludicrous. And you know how we are. I mean, you know, I know how Lucas is. It's like if you walk into a spot, you see somebody hunting, you just back out and let totally. them have it. You know, and that's actually what we were doing. We had seen the guy the above. Hunting, huh? But as we were walking down, I didn't realize she was in there. And, uh, yeah, she'd said that. And and that's the thing. I mean, we're on public land. We're not on private property, right? It's like I don't think ethically they understand. And they probably paid five to seven grand for that hunt, right? Yeah. We we bought our tag and went. You know, do it yourself. So you pay a whole lot more than five or seven grand for a life flight to fly them out of yeah. there. If yeah. Yeah. Any exactly. Farther. exactly. Less of a temper there. I probably would have been right in that lady's well, face. Well, I probably wouldn't have been in her face, but I, yeah. I definitely would have liked to have had a conversation yeah. and yeah. said, "Hey, there's no four thirteen miles back, and you don't need to talk yeah. like that. There's two of us here with a gun. You're going to get yourself shot if the right person comes along. So." Just yeah. let us say, hey, I'm hunting here. We're more than happy to back Turn out. Around yeah. and go. Yeah, there's kind of a funny story when you brought up the 65-year-old guy. Where we used to hunt growing up is we set up a wall tent. We kind of had this this 
access kind of through public land. There was an old logging road that we could drive in. Well, the only way to get up into this area we used to hunt was you used to have to hike like a three-mile hike from the road all the way up into the top. And, you know, my dad was never in really good shape, smoking cigarettes, going <laughs> up the trail. And, and that was only about 20 minutes for us from the top where we put the tent. So the, my dad gets up the ride at daylight one time, and uh, this kid comes up probably, this, I don't know, he was probably in his 50s, late 50s, and he's not a really good shape guy, big belly, and, you know, spent more time at the bar than he did hiking through the <laughs> country. And, uh, Hooter. Yeah, Hooter. Yeah, my dad. So <laughs> this kid comes walking up. He must have been 25. And I'm standing there with my dad. I was probably only, I don't know, I was pretty young at the time. And, and this guy's just sweating, pouring sweat off his brow. And, I mean, he's dying. He, he looks at me, and he looks at my dad, and he goes, holy shit, how did you guys get up here so fast? <laughs> dad goes, we just started earlier than you, man. We've been up here for hours. <laughs> just messing with kid. He's just dying. He, he walks back down to the end of the ridge. He's like, oh, you guys can have this place. I'm going back. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's neat to see. I mean, it's neat to see someone like that, you know, someone out that's enjoying it. Yeah, that's great. Back in, and it. It kind of bugs you to some extent, but then when you think about it, you're like, okay, this, like I said, this is public land. This guy's enjoying it just like I enjoy it, you know, and you respect that. And if there's someone there, you know, you do, you, you, if they were there before you, just ethically and morally, that's the right thing to do. So, yeah. but unfortunately not everyone has that, that same level of ethics yeah, in the back. I mean, that so. happened to me this year when a bull got shot out of the middle of my, uh, I had one in my scope this year, guy up on the ridge, you know, uh, must have got there at the same time, spotted these elk, hiked in like a couple miles into them, and I was just getting ready to shoot this bull, and I hear this, and down this bull. This is a nice six-point. would have been my first six-point ever shot. Right? <laughs> this thing drops right in the middle of my scope, and I'm like, you know, I just kind of bummed. Well, you got to be good kidding. For you. I'm not going to help you gut it out or clean it or drag it out, but good for you, you know, and I turned around, and then we, we ended up shooting a bull the next day, so it was all right. But Somebody's uh, trying happened. to keep you from shooting a six-point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. I and mean, I had this bull in the, the sights, curse. and he just turned and clicked off at a range, you know, rifle all dialed in and getting ready to shoot. And sure enough, boom, and that bull just drops right in my scope. <laughs> no. It kind of scared me. I thought I fired my rifle after that. <laughs> Did I do that? So I hit it. No. Uh, this guy, I could hear this guy hooping and hollering up there, and it's, oh, it's good for him. You know, I mean, he, yeah. he obviously put in That's the work cool. to get back in there because we were several miles back in, you know, but good for him. Uh-huh. Cool. So 2018 is here. Um, we kind of reflected on last year. Um, is there anything you guys got going, at least from an Elk 101 standpoint, anything you guys want to share uh, that may be coming out this year for 2018? You know, Elk 101 is just, it's, it's its own beast and it just keeps rolling down the hill. I'm just trying to hold on to it. Sure. And, uh, we uh, we hit nine million page views on the website oh, last year, wow, and we're averaging over a million a month right now. So we'll probably be at twelve million, which is super exciting from a business standpoint, but more so from the standpoint of how many passionate elk hunters there really There's are out there, out there, and and how many people are interested in it. So you know we have the, the University of Elk Hunting online course, which has been great, continues to grow. Uh, we hit ten thousand members last year in the online course. Uh, but I'm working right now on three mini courses that are going to be free, and they're designed around a, a elk hunter's previous experience. So for someone who's never hunted before, they've got different things they need to focus on to help plan a hunt and get out there. For somebody who's hunted but never killed an elk, there's some basics that you know we're going to focus on to help them to be able to kill their first elk. And then for someone who's hunted elk and maybe killed a handful but just not year by year, every year, you know, consistent success, we're going to focus on some of the things that will give them that edge so that's kind of our big thing will be coming out this summer is, is are those free mini courses just to people are coming to the website we want to make sure they have the resources sure. they need to be successful because that's really what elk 101 is about are you guys going to put some more content on the university elk hunting or is it just going to be the three uh 
The three of the smaller modules. So these three smaller ones will be completely separate, complete okay. standalone. Yep, mini courses that people can go through. Uh, speaking of the linguists, though, we finally got permission and enter in the process. Ben actually is done editing the first part, but we're taking all 20 terabytes of that footage and going to be able to use it for Elk 101 and share okay. share the behind-the-scenes stuff. So yeah, awesome. we've got the full-length interview. It's a three-part interview with Will Primos. It'll be coming out here in a week or two. Uh, we've got Larry D. Jones' interview coming out. We're going to do a day-by-day -day hunt from the Wyoming hunt where we were all there and, sh and shot three bulls. So it's going to be a ton of content that's cool. going to be hitting Elk 101 here. Yeah. The other cool thing is when I was in the shop a few weeks ago, Ben brought in this new vinyl LP that <laughs> yeah. he had. That had the the it was cool the kind of the the pictures that were drawn of of all four your dad and and Will and Larry and Wayne Carlton but it was the music behind the actual um, the video which I thought was pretty cool I think I saw you and Don, or and uh, Dirk had posted pictures of yeah. it online but I literally he'd literally just got it like off the press and I was down there and he brought it in it was pretty cool to to see that and it's it's a commemorative deal and. You know, not many people have record players anymore, but it's still just a, you know, table art. Yeah. And the really cool thing is Can Outdoors is making zero profit on it. All of the proceeds from it are going to 2% per cons for yeah, conservation. Awesome. And the Rocky Mountain. Wow. And the Rocky Mountain. It's kind oh, of great. companies you need to support there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the albums, I think... They're available to buy now. I think they are. And yes. uh, it's a record. It's a vinyl record. But the really cool part about the, the music from the film, what are there, eight tracks on it or something, yes. nine tracks? Con Outdoors produced all of that. They created all of the music. So Drew, incredibly talented music. I mean, just off the charts, talented musician. Played the piano, played guitar. I mean, just everything. And there's vocals on it. And it's incredible soundtrack that they produced themselves. Yeah. Did you get Brinker playing the guitar at all? No, no I mean, we tried and, and he, you know, he, he tried a little bit, but he's actually, his album's coming out uh, April 20th. Yeah. So. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's coming and it's out. great. Country roads. Yeah. yeah. I've listened to, uh, to the whole thing and it's, so anytime somebody chases a dream, I get behind yeah. that and I'm like, yeah, you know absolutely. what? Good for you. Go for it. Do it. And for him, it was just kind of a, he taught himself to play guitar. He wrote all the songs. Like, I just want to record it, show my kids that if you have a dream, you can do it. And he sent me to, you know, he sent it to me like the day after he got done recording it. And he's like, take a listen. Let me know what you think. There's songs that you'll hear on the radio. It's, it's a legitimate country music album, all written by him. Uh, the Swan Brothers and some other key people helped produce it and, and played on it. And it's pretty stinking awesome. Every, yeah. every song is sure. a good catchy tune that's a single in its own. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it is neat when someone finds a passion. I mean, especially when you've had a career or you have a career and you find a passion in life that takes you a different direction and still able to pursue the career standpoint, but be able to also pursue that passion is, is pretty cool. So yeah, I need to get out of this engineering field like he did at one point. <laughs> <laughs> <Elk on. laughs> yeah, you got to pay the bills, though. That's the part <laughs> of the yeah. My wife yeah. might have a problem with that, but... <laughs> Well, cool. I uh, appreciate being able to catch up with you guys. It's always fun. And when I look at the Google analytics of our podcast, you guys have our number one downloaded podcast uh, from when we did one a year ago. And it's pretty crazy when every time I go and I pull up the analytics, I always show the podcast we've been with you guys is like one of the most <laughs> downloaded. So, you know, clearly there's a lot of knowledge and insight that you guys bring that people are interested in. Um, when you talk about these different modules for Elk 101, I think that's a great idea because not everybody you know, can consume all that information at one time. I think as someone who's brand new, 
you know, when I, when I got on the, uh, the website and got signed up, I went through it and there was a lot of stuff in there that was kind of more of a review, but then there was a lot of stuff. I'm like, man, I didn't even know that or think of that. But I was thinking from, from the standpoint of what about someone new reading all this? I mean, that is a lot of content to absorb yeah. for someone who's never even been out in the elk woods. So yeah, like taking a senior in high school and putting them into a senior year of medical school or something, you know, and just yeah. trying to absorb all that because there's so much that goes into it. And so, and that's really why we did it, just to be able to break it down into, into separate mini courses based on their experience to get their feet in the direction they need to go because you don't want to start talking to somebody about, you know, the slingshot method or some advanced calling tactic that's never even put a diaphragm in their mouth sure. and never even, you know, they live East and they've never heard a, an elk bugle. They need to focus on how do I even get tags in the West? You know, what States, what does it cost? Where do I go? How do I start planning? How do I scout from back here and focus on those things so that they get committed, they're ready to go, they're excited for it. And then they can learn, Yeah, you know, line upon line. Yeah, that's amazing what you guys are doing. I was actually looking at the app this morning, you know, I was pulling out my phone. I think I woke these guys up because there was a couple of times from <laughs> <laughs> 6.15 I couldn't I sleep. I was hearing that. Been rustling around. And <laughs> We're all calling so in the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, you're learning all year, right? I mean, I've, No, it's addicting. And the more content people can consume, I mean, it's like you're always learning. I mean, it's, any, it's in anything in life. I mean, if you're an elk hunter, if you're an engineer, whatever you are, I mean, if you're not learning, you're dying, right? Continuously learning. Yeah. And that's what this is about. Every time you go out there, it's a different experience. You learn something. And I think that's what always draws us to it is, is that, you know, will to learn more and continue to learn. And, you know, if there's ever, you know, being an expert or being the best at it, you know, that's what you strive for. But there's always learning lessons that you can take from the Elk Woods. So, Corey, also congratulations. I, we saw that you Got another elk calling championship under your belt, so that was a nice, nice little token there to, to add to this year as well. So yeah, this, this year was special too because they changed the format at the calling contest, and so it was clean slate, head to head, single elimination. I mean, I can't explain the the nerves that come with that. Before you get up on stage one time, you bugle the judges score. You don't know what score you have. All forty or fifty or how many callers there are in in the division go. And then they announce the top five that make it into the finals. And then same thing, the top five go, and it's all based on score. And so you, you call once. If you make it in the finals, you call again, and you, wherever the cards land is where you land. This year, it was just like the NCAA bracket. They've got everybody seated. You're calling head-to-head -head against one person. You go up, and the winner of that advances to the next bracket and calls against the winner of the bracket below them. So every time you go on stage, there's a possibility if you don't win, you're going home. Yeah. And I looked at the bracket at the beginning, you know, there's 64 team bracket basically for the, for the division. And I'm looking at each side saying, okay, bracket one, this is who I hope wins bracket two. This is who I think would win bracket three, you know, and, and two of the four were eliminated in the first round. And the third one was eliminated in the second round of the ones that I thought would win the whole thing. Sure. And so it's, it added a whole lot of nerves to, yeah. to yeah, the contest. I, yeah, I saw that. I mean, and I guess from a judging standpoint, that would be difficult because, the old routine, you kind of knew you were going through a routine, you know, but with the judges being behind there, hearing the head, you know, head to head, I guess it could take some of the anonymity out of it because they may not know based on who's calling. Uh, and, you know, okay, so Corey Jacobson's up, goes through his sequence, and then, you know, Dirk Durham comes up. It's different when you're going head to head at that point, which from a judging standpoint could change the dynamic. It does. Um, before, you know, if you have 50 callers in a division and you go caller number one, and then four hours later, they get to caller number 50. There is no way they're comparing caller one to caller 50. True. Yeah. And caller one could be the absolute best caller in the contest, and caller 50 could be the second worst 
and caller 50 could make it in the finals and caller one wouldn't just based on, you know, you, you just get that. Yeah. As you're going through, I couldn't imagine being a judge back there. My ears would be bleeding listening to yeah. that many trying to sort them out. Yeah, so head to head's nice because all they have to do is say, you're better than I that give my guy. vote to the first caller, not the second one. Sure. And so it gives them a good apple. So is that a format apple. you think they're going to keep with now? I mean, it's yeah. pretty popular and stuff. I think now. so. Yeah, they're going to continue tweaking it a little bit. And, and again, it comes down to judging. And it's not necessarily good judges or bad judges, but it's knowing what the judges are looking for. Yeah. And some of those head-to-heads that I thought, that's a 7-0 landslide for this guy. And yeah. he ended up losing. You know, it, it just did. So there's a little more strategy involved, obviously. Yeah, you just, you're just always yeah. second-guessing. Okay, what are the judges looking for? What do I need to do? And yeah. so... Do I need to change my routine? Did that? <laughs> yeah. and that's what, there was a lot of, you know, at the back of the room, I did this, I did this, and it worked. Should I change it? Should I not change it? Should I just go up and do the exact same thing? Sure. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a lot of guessing going on yeah. based on the head-to-head, which yep. is cool. I, I appreciate you guys. You know, Donnie's there video, and so all of us can see <laughs> yeah, it, that was and, neat. which it was is cool watching that always sure. cool to, yeah. to see you guys out there doing that stuff. I know all as consumers, we appreciate that. So anyway, well, um, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate, again, having you guys and uh, look forward to this year and the content you guys are going to put out. Obviously, looking forward to the stuff that we didn't see in Linguist that will come out um, and having a lot of that digital content. I know Ben was saying how he got stuff from Rocky Mountain Elk, like truckloads of old footage of stuff that he was going through and mining through to try to figure out how do I use some of this? So to release and see some of that is really, I think it does tell the history, which is cool. It'll be exciting to to see some of that. So um, for this show, you guys have any other engagements? I think you've got a a seminar today, Corey. Yeah. Doing a seminar at three o'clock here at the backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous. Okay. Yeah. Just hanging out and, yeah, meeting we'll cool people there. yeah cool yeah. I was, this what is kind of stuff are you giving out we want to know <laughs> <laughs> you know that's the cool thing about bugle tubes contender <laughs> i do yeah i've got yeah. some i've got some incredible sponsors that are just so generous with gear and it gives me a chance at seminars afterwards to engage people with questions and answers and so every seminar i do if somebody asks me a question i give them free gear and so i've got a box full of I've got decoys and arrows and yeah, you listen to that, listeners. And Make sure you go to the, we went to the one at the expo too, and I was surprised all the stuff was given out. Uh, oh yeah, I gave away yeah. vortex binoculars, yeah. and yeah, it was yeah. we we had a ton of yeah. ton of stuff. Yeah. So cool. Well, thanks again, guys. Like I say, good luck this year. Um, we'll have to keep in contact and see how you guys do, and and uh, we'll have to get back on at some point and talk about what was and what wasn't and what's to be in the future. Right, twenty eighteen successes, hopefully. Cool. Yep. No, all right, guys, for having us. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, guys. Take care. And uh, for you two, thanks for jumping on with me today, and good to see you guys. Yeah, it's good to be. Yep. Finally get on here with the partner, Lucas. Here. I know. Next time we'll be a pig hunt in California in May, end of May. Could be May, yeah. We'll have to get some pigs out for you guys and see if we can't get you guys a, a good bore down or a good meat sow, as Nick would say. Yeah. So. Yeah, my hunt in Texas didn't go too good last week. So. <laughs> We'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good story, too. <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning in, listeners, and we'll catch you guys for another venture on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, Go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. 
For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.